0: welcome to c4 church online equipping you as you follow jesus you know i'm getting to that stage in my life where i get to follow my son in various places now so i'm so glad to be here this morning it's always an incredible privilege to preach god's word Um, now those of you who remember back to the first sermon in this series you remember that Pastor John kind of maybe rocked some of you by saying, listen, the problems that you people have or we all have with prayer is not us, but it's our plan. You might remember that. And he talked about how so often we get locked into these lists that we pray through, endlessly, mindlessly repeating. I and mean, no wonder all of that gets boring. And he went on in the rest of that sermon to talk about that central um, Dimension of keeping prayer alive, and that is to learn to pray through the Scriptures. Actually, it is the central message on prayer, and I'm actually going to be talking about the same things, but I'm going to be talking about it from a different perspective, because from a slightly different angle, there is a plan that we need. Much like a beautiful picture needs a frame around it uh, to enhance it, much like a beautiful gem needs a setting to enhance the gem. The gem here is scripture. The gem here is learning to pray through the scriptures. But, but it needs to be festooned with a plan around it to actually enable us to pull it off as it were. John Piper put it better than anybody I know when he said this. Unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant life of prayer is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation, you don't just get up on summer morning and say, hey, let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You don't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. But that's how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be a part of our life, but nothing is ever ready. We don't know where to go, no time, no place, no procedure. And this is the key sentence And we all know that the opposite of planning is not a wonderful flow of deep, spontaneous experiences in prayer. The opposite of planning is a rut. If you don't plan a vacation, you will probably stay home and watch TV. The natural, unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. Can I repeat that? The natural unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. There is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your life of prayer, you must plan to see it. That's what I want to talk about. Is that kind of a plan? And this is not formulaic, but just some ingredients to the plan that you can mix and match and tailor it to yourself. But the right ingredients need to be there. If you wish, you can think upon it as putting your feet in the starting block, some place to get anchored to. Because the Holy Spirit, I find, does a much better job of, mo- of directing a moving vehicle than a stationary one. And if at the end of this, you don't particularly like this plan, it's okay. Somebody once asked D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, I don't like your evangelism plans. He said, okay, what do you do? And the other guy said, well, I don't do anything. He said, well, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't. (laughs) So hopefully, if you've got something that works much better for you, you can ignore this whole message. But if it doesn't, and you say, yeah, I, I need some help, then listen up, all right? Now, first of all, places are important. We need to find a quiet place somewhere. Now, maybe not all of us have a canoe that we can get into and get up early in the morning and move to an island and sit down and sit in quiet, you know. We call those vacations, and that's only when the vacations work. But Jesus talked about a closet. He said, when you pray, go into a closet. Now, did he mean a literal closet? The local context, of course, was these Pharisees that were exhibitionists. They were demonstrating to everybody how religious they were and how holy they were. So Jesus said, go into a closet, shut yourself off. That was the local context. But the principle, I think, is important because prayer, by its very nature, has to do with the invisible and the inaudible. You are talking to a God that you cannot see, that you cannot touch, that you cannot feel, and you cannot hear with the normal audible channels. Prayer also dealing with invisible realities in that you're praying about things that are not yet. So the entire realm of prayer is with the invisible. And you and I are incredible creatures of space and time. The visible and the audible have tremendous powers upon us. So the closet, I think, is some way in which we can minimize the impact of the visible and the audible. You can't completely ignore it because the only way you'll do that is to close your eyes. And usually if I close my eyes, my mind starts wandering. It's a deadly thing to do to close your eyes when you're praying, you know. Because usually your mind goes off someplace else. So you have to find some way, some place where you can minimize the visible and the audible. I mean, remember, it was so powerful. I remember one time in the middle of June, I was in my study and my time praying. And all of a sudden, I was thinking about Christmas. Now, how does somebody start thinking about Christmas in June? And because I have a mind that is wired to solving problems, I thought, okay, I need to figure out how my mind got there. And I discovered that on the top left-hand corner of my desk, right at the corner of a fairly large desk, I had made myself a note about something to remember when the Christmas sermon time came on. My, the left corner of my eye had caught that one word, Christmas, and my mind was gone. That's how powerful the visible and the audible are to us. And so we need to find a place where we can minimize the visible and the audible. It'll vary. I was very fortunate. For 36 years, I, I lived in the Parsonet right next to the church. So my study was available. I have a young friend of mine, when I was training him in this stuff, he used to just get on the highway and get to work an hour earlier and get into his office before anybody ever came. So for my wife... Right now in in our bedroom, she has a little favorite chair of hers. And around 8.30, 9, 9 9.30 in the morning, she'll settle down there. That's become her quiet place. One young friend of mine that I used to disciple, he said, the only way I can do it is to set up my table in the corner of my bedroom where I only saw two blank walls and nothing else. Now, others of you may be able to pray outdoors. It never worked for me because when I first started, I tried praying in the car, and that lasted as long as the first red BMW drove by. The power of the visible and the audible once again. Now, as I grew in my journey, I learned to prayer walk a lot. There was a nice ravine right next to the Rexdale Alliance Church, and as often as the uh, weather would allow me, I was out there. But it became so familiar, it was no longer a distraction. So whatever works for you, you need to find a place. It'll slowly become a sacred place. I know we know that today there are no such thing as sacred places, as such God is everywhere, but places where you begin to have an encounter with him like when I said goodbye to my ravine after 36 years because we moved that was sad it had become a sacred place I had met God so many times in that place by the way going to the same places also reinforces habit you and I are all creatures of habit the only question is are you going to be creatures of good habit or bad habit that's the only choice you have and so finding a set place has really helped in that way so think along those lines Secondly, you need an alert time. Now, we all have this great morning and evening debate. Some of us are called morning people and others say I'm useless in the morning and evening people. But you know what? I've discovered something. Everybody is a morning person but they really want to do something early in the morning. You can't get teenagers out of bed to get to school but they can sit up all night to buy tickets for a concert. My wife would consider herself not a morning person but if the grandchildren are coming at 8 o'clock in the morning she's up at 6.30 getting things ready for them. It doesn't have to do with discipline. The fundamental problem we have is a desire problem, not a discipline problem. The issue though is not morning, afternoon, evening, the issue is alertness. So I put it this way, choose a time of maximum alertness, unplug the telephone, get rid of your cell phone, put them away someplace. You know, I, used to, I regularly would unplug the phone. We didn't have cell phones when my children were growing up at that time, or at least I didn't have one. And uh, we would basically unplug the phone in the house during family uh, worship times, and I did the same thing for myself as well. You need to find a place at a time where there's maximum alertness. Now, having said that, there's a couple of principles that you need to put into the mix. The longer you have to wait during a day to postpone an important appointment, the less important it will actually be. So if you say, yeah, my time alone with God is so important, I'll get to it later, I'll get to it later, after I finish this, after I finish that, you almost certainly will never get to it. Because it is very difficult to maintain a sense of importance and commitment to something that you're continually procrastinating. So I have found from my own practice... Relatively earlier, the sooner in the day than you can. Because I find, again, because I'm a creature of habit, I'm a creature of the visible and the audible, once I get into the flow of my work for the day, it takes a superhuman effort to stop that and wrench my whole attention back to the invisible and the inaudible. If you're able to do it, that's fine. But uh, it's just a suggestion to keep that in mind. And again, If it is possible, roughly the same same time slot every day, if your your weeks are in fact structured as mine were, that also reinforces habit. But if it doesn't happen, then you just need to vary with, with what your particular schedules are like. But these are a couple of principles that I found helpful, a quiet place and alert time. Now, I think it's also important to set aside a block of time that's effective for your purpose. Now, you can't deduce from Scripture that there's a magical amount of time that we have to pray every day. About the only question Jesus ever asked about prayer that had to do with time was when he found his three disciples sleeping in Gethsemane, he said, could you not watch with me one hour? But it's very hard to build a theology of prayer on that one question and say, we should all be praying for an hour a day. So here are two principles that I have found very helpful. First of all, it needs to be large enough to be meaningful. Uh, Way back in the 80s, um, I was invited to speak at a church in Calgary. And this, this church actually did this as a ministry to pastors. Uh, your assignment was to preach on the two Sundays uh, of Calgary Stampede Week. You spoke on the Sunday before and the Sunday after. They gave you a home to live in during the time, tickets to the Calgary Stampede, and they gave you a car. And so it was a good way to spend a week. So my wife and I went there. And so my wife's sister and brother-in-law who were very close to us, said, hey, why don't you guys join us? We have a car. We have a place to stay. And so we did and so part of the trip one day was to go up from Banff to Jasper. And if you've driven the Icefields Parkway, just a magnificent 193-mile drive, It takes about four to four-and-a-half hours. And we had already booked our hotel in Jasper for the night, so we weren't in any great hurry. And I'd never been to the Rockies before. I was not prepared for what I saw. At every turn of the road... I would just, just stand and stop and gawk. I just, you know, Bow Lake, Maline Canyon. I've never seen anything like that. Every canyon deserved to be explored. And guess what? We had the time. It took us 11 and a half hours to finish that trip. <laughs> now, on the way back the next day, the plan was to leave at 9 o'clock in the morning because I had an appointment at 5.30 in Calgary that I had to keep. But the ladies got shopping, and we didn't leave till 1.00. So now I only had four and a half hours, and I needed all of that. Do you know that on the way back, every new turn that showed me another glimpse of another mountain was now irritating and boring? Why? Because I wasn't in Calgary yet. And when I finally saw the flatlands of Calgary before me, I was happy. I didn't think much of that experience until months later, when I was at my desk studying, actually planning a sermon on prayer. And the Lord just asked me this question. He said, were the mountains any less beautiful on the way back? Were the canyons any less worthy of exploring? Were the lakes any less worthy of just stopping and looking? No. He said the only difference was you had time enough on the way up. You had no time on the way down. That's the difference. I've never forgotten that lesson. God, uh, Alan Redpot, the great English preacher, said, God does not lavish his treasures on self-satisfied souls. We need time. If you're going to engage with God in a way that the time becomes meaningful, you need a block, m- m- enough of a block of time. Helmut Tillich, the German pastor, used to say, most people find prayer boring so they only pray five minutes. He said the problem is most people find prayer boring because they only pray five minutes. So it needs to be large enough to be meaningful. Now, at the same time, it also has to be small enough to be manageable. You don't, You can't read Martin Luther's biography who said once, I normally pray three hours a day and today I am so busy I need to pray four. You can look at that and say, I'm going to start praying three hours a day from tomorrow. Don't do it because you're going to fail and now guilt will be added to the other problems that we have. So it kind of needs to be small enough. There's a story in the, in the Old Testament that really has nothing to do with prayer but illustrates this importance of small enough to be manageable. You remember when Moses sent the 12 spies in first. They were gone for 40 days. They went all the way from Dan to Beersheba. They saw the whole land. They came back and said, this is a land full of milk and honey and look at all these grapes we're bringing. But, but there are giants in the land. It's too big a task for us. And apart from Caleb and Joshua, the rest of them didn't want to go and they suffered for 40 years in the wilderness because of that. Well Joshua who took over for Moses looks like he learned a good lesson because when he brought the people back in he just sent out two spies and he just sent them out to Jericho. And they said hey come by we can handle this one. It was small enough to be manageable but that principle applies in prayer as well. So I think the guidelines from my practical experience this is we're just building a frame around prayer is it needs to be large enough to be meaningful. You need to carve it out like you do other appointments and things like that. Now but still there are some of us who say, but tell me how much, Sundar. <laughs> well, I can't. I really can't tell you. But I'll give you a guideline, okay? Because the rest of the sermon is going to be built around that. I was talking to a lady once at a family camp that I was speaking at. I said, my own experience would be somewhere between 40 minutes forty minutes or so. And she said to me, wow, I don't think I can handle that. But by the time I had finished, she said, I think I'm ready for it. So just hang in there with me. By the way, we haven't started praying yet. Do you notice? <laughs> We're only thinking about a space. We're only thinking about a time. We're only thinking about a meaningful block of time that's manageable at the same time. But these these are practical things. Now here's one more very practical thing: you gotta you gotta keep your appointment. It isn't enough to have a place. It isn't enough to have a time. It is enough to have a block of time if you don't show up. And that's not easy. Do you know why? Because we have an enemy. We have an enemy who fights us 24-7 and he will oppose prayer before he opposes anything else. In Ephesians chapter 6, that's why Paul talks about wrestling not against flesh and blood and then he talks about the armor of God and then what does he say? And pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayer. Prayer is not the seventh weapon. Prayer is the means by which every weapon is deployed. And so he will fight it. So to actually get to your place at the time for the appointment is a battle and you need to think about it in terms of a battle. And so you need, you need some weapons. The sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Not only are you going to pray God's word like John taught us and I'm going to be talking about that again but you need God's word to get to the point where you're going to pray. Like when I first started when God first spoke to me about prayerlessness in my life it was about three years before I became a, a pastor <clears throat> and I remember I uh, My children were young at that time. I used to work for Atomic Energy of Canada. I had to be there at a certain time. We didn't have flex time in those days. You couldn't work from home and all that kind of stuff. You just had to show up at a certain amount of time. And so the only way I could get extra time to pray was to set my alarm clock about an hour earlier. Now, I'm a fairly um, morning kind of person. In fact, I'm quite a morning person. However, I also discovered something else. At the moment the alarm goes off, nobody's a morning person. And the battle with the alarm clock I discovered was won or lost in the first nine seconds after the alarm went off. Because nine seconds is how long it takes to roll over and hit the snooze button. And you can do that a few times, and then you have no time left. And here's something that doesn't work. I shouldn't go back to sleep. I shouldn't go back to sleep. doesn't work. You know why? Because the mind is designed in such a way that it can never work with negatives. Like, for example, I tell you right now, stop thinking about the number seven. Come on. You can all say to yourself, I should not think about the number seven. You can memorize that verse. <laughs> Guess what? You'll have to think about it in order to not think about it. It doesn't work. But if I said to you, don't think about the number seven, think about the number ten, the problem is solved right away. Our minds are geared to work with the positive, so You've got to get rid of the I shouldn'ts and say, what should I do instead? So I had to find Scripture... That would help me in that moment. So I remember, God gave me Isaiah chapter 40. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Because the temptation in that morning when the alarm goes off, say, oh, you that's the enemy's at work? Oh, you poor little boy, you've got so much work to do at, at work today. You need this little extra sleep. You can wait till tomorrow. I needed something that, that would say to me, that's the right. Because the truth is, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So I wrote down that verse. I would review it before I went to bed at night. I would keep it next to me until I memorized and became second nature. I'll tell you this much. Yeah, I failed some days. In the early stage, it's not an issue anymore in my life. I failed some days in the beginning. But God never failed. Never once did I trust Him with that time that He did not give me that strength. So that verse of scripture sustained me until it became second nature. Then what happened was I became a pastor. Now Sunday mornings were a huge issue. You know why? Because I would stand before God, before the people with this pathetic manuscript. I actually didn't take a manuscript with me, but I prepared it. And I said, Lord, who's going to be affected by this stuff? And so I grew desperate. So Sunday mornings, I, need, I wanted to spend more time with God, which means I had to get up another hour earlier. And now Isaiah 40 wasn't enough. So God gave me Isaiah 50. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me morning by morning to listen like one being taught and I was not disobedient. Now that's exactly what a pastor loves, right? Instructed tongue to know a word that sustains the weary. Dozens, hundreds, thousands here, thousands of people come to hear something that hopefully will sustain them and strengthen them in their crucial battles of life. And that, that, that was actually from Isaiah 50, which is one of the servant songs So, really it was the mind of Jesus himself. And so I, I began to memorize Isaiah chapter 50. So at that moment on Sunday mornings when the alarm would go off, Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 50 together became a powerful combination in my life. And until now, in my life, now it is second nature for me. I don't even need those things. They just become... But it took several years to get to that point. So for me, I had... Those, that was the sword of the spirit that helped me to fight to even get to the appointment. Now... Others of you, that may not be an issue. I had a friend in our church, he used to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning with any trouble. He said, that's not my problem. He said, my problem is I pick up the newspaper and three hours are gone. So he needed some scripture, the particular sword of the Spirit that would resist the temptation to grab that newspaper the first thing in the morning. Maybe today it's emails, Facebook, I don't know what, what what else goes on. But something, you need to ask God to give you the word of God that will help you get there. All right, now we're ready. We have a place, we have a time, we have a block of time, that's large enough to be meaningful, small enough to be manageable, and we've actually managed to fight the devil to get there. Huh? So now we need some tracks to run on. <laughs> you know, I learned another important principle. In most things in life, maybe in all things in life, the discipline of structure precedes the delight of spontaneity. Can I say that once again? The discipline it's probably on the overhead somewhere. The discipline of structure precedes the delight of spontaneous. Of course we want everything to be spontaneous. I remember when my son was learning to drive by two wheelies. We had because we lived right next to the parts, so there were two big speed bumps. He said, Daddy, I want to do wheelies. I said, Not for another year at least. You're first gonna learn how to go over a little rock and regain balance or a little stick that might be on the way. When you've done the discipline of structure, there'll come the delight of spontaneity. And we all want our prayers to be spontaneous, not stuck in a rut. But it's interesting, the way you get to spontaneity is by practicing. Violins, vocalists, pianists, guitarists, preachers, there's a lot of practicing the scales that go on. The discipline of structure that then precedes the delight of the spontaneity of a Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, right? There's no way you can get get directly to playing the Ninth Symphony (laughs) without doing the scales. It's true in every area of life. The discipline of structure precedes the delight of spontaneity. So let me walk you through a 40-minute structure. Again, just kind of get the idea, basically, and then work work the recipes for yourself. Place to start. First of all, I think it's very important to do something that I call clearing the decks. You know, when I get and start my prayer time, there's so many things that are going through my mind. It could be a health issue, you're waiting for a doctor's report, your child showed up, your teenager came late at night, to bed last night, you have a difficult appointment at work. At any given time, the life is just pressing in upon us all the time. And... I learned from C.S. Lewis many years ago that the way you deal with them in your prayer time is not to try to stop thinking about them because you know by now you cannot stop thinking about something. The best way to do it is to bring him into your prayers. So I just begin my prayer time by simply giving God a shopping list of the things that are on my mind and just laying them at his feet. Mention them. Bring them into your prayer. Say, Lord, I have this concern about this doctor's appointment I have today. I need to have this difficult conversation with my body. Maybe you'll pray about that later too, but I'll show you that in a minute. But for now, can you please take care of these for the next 30 minutes or so so they don't bother me? I just find it very effective. It may take one or two minutes. Some days I have nothing. My mind is geared, ready. I'm totally tuned in to the Holy Spirit and to invisible reality. Most days I'm not. So I just need to lay some of those things. So I just call that clearing the decks. Take a couple of times. And by the way, on the days when you don't feel like praying, which could be many days, especially when you start... <laughs> I have found the most indispensable way of making that prayer time real is to focus on the relationship. So I actually say something like this to God. I say, God, you know my heart today, and I'd rather be doing this, or I'd rather be doing that. I just want to say a few moments, and some of the songs we sang this morning were so beautiful. I just want to tell you, Lord, that you won't love me any more if I pray these 40 minutes. You won't love me any less if I don't. But I just want to know, I want you to know that I love you, I'm not in the best frame of mind today, so can you please help me? You know what happens when you do something like that? You need to make them your own prayers. But you know what happens? All of a sudden, you're relating to God. All of a sudden, you're praying honest, gut-level prayers, which means the relationship is beginning to click like it does. And you know, I never have to do that for more than two or three minutes before I'm ready to pray. So don't be put off by the bad frame of mind. We used to sing an old hymn called I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Talking about the sweetest frame of mind. I've turned it around to also say I dare not be put off by the foulest frame of mind but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So bring your, clear the decks. Be honest with how you're feeling that day. Focus on the relationship. And then second, begin with thanksgiving. The psalmist says I will enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. You know, Thanksgiving, one of the things I've noticed as a pastor is that we're not good at Thanksgiving. We're very good at murmuring and grumbling like the Israelites, So we don't often thank God enough. <clears throat> so one of the things I've started doing, this is a late addition, after the th- last three or four years, maybe a little bit longer, I begin by listing every single thing in the last 24 hours for which I'm truly thankful to God. You know, the list is pretty long. <laughs> every day. Some days I'm overwhelming. Other days it's quiet. But to just name, okay Lord, what has happened in the last 24 hours for the things that I can thank you for? So just take a few minutes because that's what the psalmist says, I will enter your gates with thanks. Before I ever ask him for anything, I'm actually saying thank you Lord. And then praise. I'm not an artistically inclined person. Uh, Creation and things like that don't very quickly spur me on to praise. So I just sing songs. Uh, there are beautiful, beautiful songs of praise. Uh, I grew up in the with the tradition of hymns i 've probably 40, 50, 60 hymns that I've just kind of memorized. These modern songs, which I love, are much harder for me to sing because I'm not musically inclined, so it's hard for me to carry the melody without a band and stuff like that. But the hymns were written in order to be able to remember very quickly. But whatever works for you, maybe you have them in your uh, your little device in there. But I find one or two songs that just completely focus upon God before I've ever asked him for anything. Because the bigger he gets, the bolder and more faith-filled my prayers can be. So thanksgiving and praise, maybe five minutes or so for that might help you. And then we're going to get into the scriptures right now because as you learned at the very beginning of this series, the central, central key to prayer is learning to pray scripture back to God. So reading scripture is very closely connected to prayer. I kind of grew up in read the Bible and pray and the twain shall never meet. Whereas they were intended to be always together. Now when you read... You need the Holy Spirit's illumination. So the next thing I do is usually take some time to pray, take a few minutes to pray for the Holy Spirit to open my eyes to read Scripture. Because we're getting to that part right now and we cannot understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And every one of us has the uh, can come confidently into God's presence because it has nothing to do with human intellect. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says every single Christian has the mind of Jesus Christ. He said... These things, my eye has not seen, ear has not heard, the things that God has prepared for those who love him, but the Holy Spirit has revealed this to our heart. We speak spiritual truth in spiritual words to spiritual men and women who have the mind of Christ. Every single one of you. There is nobody here who needs to say, well, I can't, you can. You, maybe you won't be a scholar. Maybe you'll never open a, a Greek or a Hebrew lexicon ever in your life. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about listening to the voice of God speaking it. There isn't one person here who can't do it. By the way, if there are young people sitting here, there's no junior Holy Spirit either. You know? We have the same Holy Spirit able to speak to you. Teach your sons and daughters to read and learn. Now, it's also important, I think, to to have a plan to read the Bible. Read the the assigned passage for that day. Now, why is it important, I'm suggesting, to have a Bible reading plan? When I first started teaching this stuff in my church, I remember one young man coming up to me saying, I'm going to do this from tomorrow, Pastor Sunday." I said, okay, that's great. So the next Sunday I met him. I said, hey, David, how's it going? Terrible. I said, what happened? He said, I got down Monday morning. I opened my Bible. I started reading in James. I didn't like what I was reading. I flipped over to the Psalms. I read a couple of Psalms, didn't like that. I closed my Bible and that was it. Never went back to it. I have discovered 1984, I wish, to, I wish by the grace of God I'd taught, I taught me this earlier, but 1984 was when I first began reading through the Bible every year. And again, it doesn't have, have to be, at a, the speed is not the issue. But So this is now my 33rd or 34th year in reading through the Bible. And so I follow a Bible reading plan that takes me through the Bible once a year. Maybe you can follow one that takes you to the Bible twice a year. Don't care. But you've got some plan, and there are oodles and oodles of Bible reading plans that are available on the Internet. But find something so that when you get to your place, you're not wasting your time wondering where you're going to read. You just pick up wherever you left off the previous day. And I, can, I cannot tell you the number of times where my assigned passages for the day are the ones that God has spoken to me about. So ha- have a plan to read the Scriptures. And now we're getting to the heart the, the nuts and bolts said, this is the way in which I do what Pastor Mark taught you. It doesn't have to be the only way, but this is a way that helps me. If you already got a good way, you don't need to worry about this. As you read the assigned passages for the day, mark what strikes you at initiating speech and respond accordingly. What do I mean by that? You see, we, are, we so often think of prayer as something we are talking to God and we are initiating. We have a shopping list. We have a prayer list, and this is why these things get boring, and we have an agenda. Those ones we've already laid at the feet of God, remember, in the clearing the decks, prayer was never meant to be initiating speech prayer was meant to be answering speech God initiates and then we respond God sets the agenda and we respond so how do you recognize initiating speech when do you say "Yeah, God is speaking to me, now this is a difficult question right because we all, we all get worried about people who say God told me you know, and that's true but here let me give you some suggestions on how you might recognize God saying something to you where you can pray back uh, these are things that help me first of all you might read a passage of scripture or a story that talks about some aspect of God's uh, character maybe you're reading in Job I'm reading in Job these days uh, so I think the next slide has this stuff maybe you're reading in Job these days and I'm, I'm reading and it's all about the sovereignty of God Job is a spectacular assertion of the sovereignty of God so I might read a passage that reveals either God's nature or God's work how can you respond to that? You can respond in praise. Whenever God reveals some aspect of himself, praise is an appropriate response. Or you could also intercede because you might have a friend, you might have a son, a daughter, yourself, who needs an encounter with that particular kind of God. Maybe who needs to know that God is sovereign. Maybe someone has lost their job. Or maybe someone has been treated unjustly and is not being treated justly. And they need to know that God is sovereign. So you could be praising or you could intercede. Both of them would be appropriate responses. You might do both. So there's a response of praise and intercession for a passage that might reveal God's work. Or you might be reading something that reveals a sin in your life. Maybe you're reading in Proverbs about gossip, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says to you, you know that prayer request you shared last night over the phone, that wasn't a prayer request, that was gossip. Oh, huh. what do you do when God's, God's word reveals a sin? You don't praise him then. <laughs> You don't sing holy, holy, holy. Oh, you might sing that one, but you don't sing some other song. You need to confess. When God speaks something to you about your life, you need to confess that. You need to acknowledge. Call it what God calls it because that's what confession is. Homologia, which means saying the same thing that God says about something. That's the essence of confession because we call it a mistake. We call it oversight. We call it I'm tired. We call it but God. We make so many excuses. We need to call it what God calls it because that's when we get healing. Remember Psalm 32 says, when I covered up my sin, your hand was heavy upon me. But when I uncovered my sin, you forgave the guilt of my sin. So when when God's word speaks about a sin, confess it. Or you might find a scripture that gives you a promise. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, the benediction. Maybe you're reading something like that, which says, uh, Now may the God of peace that brought forth again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will and work in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. What a beautiful uh, promise. That he will work in me what is pleasing to him and he will equip me to do his will. What can you do with a the promise? There are three ways in which you can respond to a promise maybe you can pray for faith to believe it because you say, oh, really, God? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. Maybe you're reading in Philippians. And you say, really? um, You really can meet me at this time of need, Lord? I haven't had a job for six months where bills are piling up. I just have a hard time believing it. Well, then pray for faith. Faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit in our life. So we can pray. Or maybe you can thank him because you have recently experienced a wonderful provision. Like when, when we retired, I didn't own a home. Because we lived in the Parsons. We built equity for the church. And we were happy to do so. Today we're living in a home. It's too long a story as to how we got it. But two years later, every day, I'm still thanking him. Because it was a miracle. Especially in the city of Toronto. Or you could intercede. Maybe you're okay. But maybe you need somebody else for whom that promise is important. Or promise necessary. So you could pray for that particular person. So praying for faith to believe the promise for yourself, thanksgiving, if you've already experienced it, intercession. All of these are appropriate responses to initiation. Or finally, here's a fourth category, either either scripture that reveals God's nature and work, scripture that reveals a sin, scripture that makes a promise, or scripture that exhorts an action. Maybe you're reading in Matthew chapter 5, and you read all of a sudden, you come to the altar with a gift, and you realize that your brother has something against you, please leave your gift at the altar, go and make things all right, and then come back. What do you do in a case when, the, when you have an exor- where God exhorts a command an action? Again, it depends on what you need. Maybe you want to do it, but you don't have strength, so you pray for strength. That's one thing you can pray for. Or maybe you're fearful. You can pray for courage. Or sometimes you have the strength and you have the courage, but you need the opportunity. I have my wife, daughter's permission to share this story, so I will. It's a pretty remarkable illustration of, of, of prayer. Uh, she, leads, she leads one of the worship teams in our church, and... Uh, it was Saturday and Sunday, and so it was around 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, and God spoke to her about some unkind remark she'd made about somebody in the church. And she said, Lord, I would just really love to get this thing settled before I lead worship three times in the church. So she prayed a very daring prayer in response to this. She said, Lord, if you want me to get that done before, and otherwise there's going to be a block to leading in worship— please have that woman walk into church. Because she couldn't go. She was, she was in the sanctuary leading the practice team. You know, within five minutes, this lady that walks lives clear across the city walked into the sanctuary. She said, I was driving by. I didn't even know why I felt I needed to come to church. But I felt I needed to come in. And so my daughter was able to share with her what she had done. Now, as it happens, this woman was a wonderful, godly, mature lady who then blessed my daughter by saying, See, sweetheart, how loving, how much God loves you, that he answered your prayer and helped me to bless you. And so my daughter was just set free that weekend. So she prayed for opportunity. Are you beginning to get an idea of how this works? As you read the scriptures in the planned portion? And guess what? You don't have to make anything happen. It's not up to you. God's speaking. It's his word. You just go there and expect him. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. And then you just read. And if he chooses to say nothing that day, it's okay, the onus is on him, not on you. But it never happens. You know, there's always something or the other that he brings to mind. By the way, once you've started doing this and it begins to be part of the flow of your life, you will discover, because so much of the scripture is getting into you after a period of time, that you may be reading here, but the Spirit brings something from here into your mind. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. You're you're giving him so much raw material to pull on and to festoon and so that you're just praying without any trouble at all. And lastly, because you do have to get up and go to work and do other things, commit the rest of the day to him. You're finished, the time is up, and you commit the rest of the day to him. And I just basically quickly rehearse two or three major things that are happening that day and I ask the Lord to come into them. Mostly I'm learning to pray, Lord, help me to do the loving thing. Because... 1 Corinthians 13 says that if you do, no matter what you do, if you do it without love it's, it's like an empty gong. So one of the things I'm just praying as I pray through the Lord, the people that I'm meeting today, whether at work or at home or whatever, whatever love looks like in that situation, let me pray for it. And then lastly, persevere That's the last little word I have. Can you just go back to the next slide? I'll just show you all the things in there. Oh, sorry, back up a bit. Sorry. So, uh, then persevere. That's my last word for it. Keep on doing this over and over again. Now, Dallas Willard has a beautiful quote on on how plans play. He said this. He said, "Now you've heard this. He said, now is the time for decision and especially for planning. Just as there is no faith that does not act, so there is no act without some plan. Faith grows from the experience of acting on plans and discovering God to be acting with us. You cannot follow Jesus without a plan to serve as a vessel in which the treasure of his life is received. Uh, that quote is a mystery. Your, your plan will be the cross on which you die to your old self and meet him in his life beyond death. You know, this simple plan takes a lot of dying. <laughs> you die every day to whatever else you would like to do with that time. So we don't need to worry about crosses where we are being crucified, where we are being. Well, many brothers and sisters all over the world are being persecuted. But how about this plan of just simply surrendering 20, 30, 40 minutes a day and say, okay, God, I'm going to work this plan by your grace? Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord thank you that you had engineered every single circumstance in every person's life and you brought them to this point so that they could be here this morning sing the particular songs that we sang watch the particular acts of worship that they did and listen to the particular sermon that they did at this time You know why at this particular moment they needed to hear this. Now we ask you, Lord, to continue to do what only you can do. Take the word, the seed that was sown, will you water it, and let it bring forth much fruit to the glory of God and to the joy of our people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.